what are the glad tidings of great joy? Now, I don't think anybody on the planet has never heard sort of the basic New Testament story about angels appearing to shepherds in the field, declaring glad tidings of great joy. Very New Testament. Um, the whole Christian world knows this phrase. But we're going to talk about what it is, where it comes from, and what are the other sources of the definition of this and the ramifications of glad tidings of great joy in all of the scriptures, including the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and a few others. And, and more, you know, more than that, we're going to take a look at the significance of what actually happened, you know, 2,000-something years ago. Uh, when Christ came into the world, what was the Lord doing with his holy prophets? What was the game plan? What were the faithful saints doing at the time? What was their journey? What was their exodus? What were some of these people doing um, um, besides just looking up at a star? So we're going to jump right in. <clears throat> Again, another presentation that's very scriptural heavy. Um, I do that on purpose. I'm not, not as comfortable with me explaining things as I am just showing you guys in the scriptures what, you know, what the prophets say. So here we go. A familiar story to you, right? Luke 2 is the go-to chapter when you do living Christmas cards with people, right? You open the scriptures, family home evenings this time of year. Luke 2 is where it's at. So here's the familiar story for all of us. Luke 2, verses 8 through 10. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid and the angel said unto them fear not for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be unto all people and as we'll see in a minute not just people in jerusalem out in the field great good tidings of great joy shall be to all people let's take a look at the word tidings and these are modern definitions. I don't know if it's changed over time. Piece of news, right? Something that's announced. You guys probably already knew this. Um, but it also stems from another phrase that we often hear, which is to tide over. Like, you know, that's used in definition of to support or enable to survive temporarily. So it's something that keeps people going. For example, if you had a payday next Thursday and you're running out of money, I might give you a couple hundred dollars to tide you over. That's also a tiding. It's something that you've anticipated, something that you need, something to fill your ability to survive, right? And so as we talk about salvation and the doctrine of Christ, um, the word tiding in both of those instances, glad tidings of great joy is Good news, the good news of the gospel. That's what's being delivered here. But it's also being delivered to people who have long anticipated and long awaited this good news. They've been waiting around for it. And so in a sense, both of these definitions fit where people were being, you know, able to be tied, tied over, you know, like this will, this will keep you going in your faith is this good news that the Christ is born tonight, you know, and that his, his message is here. So Tidings, I never knew it went growing up, didn't really care, but that's what it is. It's basically news. <clears throat> As we refer to that, that definition later on, we'll, we'll see where news fits in. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through a bunch of stuff on a timeline, right? Bottom right corner, that green mark is when Christ was born, and then we'll just move closer and closer to his, his, uh, his birth, and we'll see how things fit into a timeline. That's going to help us a lot tonight. So 124 years before Christ was born, K 
King Benjamin received an address. It's a historical address that people who are familiar with the Book of Mormon, it's, it's one of the most talked about couple chapters in the Book of Mormon about becoming born again, how to come unto Christ in a practical way, right? So in Mosiah chapter 3, verses 2 and 4, we hear how King Benjamin got his address that he delivered basically word for word to his people. And this, as you know, this conference talk that he gave actually worked. There was power and authority in this thing. The spirit was there. And this is how people had mighty transformations, mighty changes of heart. They came unto Christ and were born again. You know the rest. But let's talk about how he received his conference talk that he gave to his people from a tower. Mosiah 3, verses 2 through 4. And the things which I shall tell you are made known unto me by an angel from God. And he said unto me, Awake. And I awoke. And behold, he stood before me. And he said unto me, Awake and hear the words which I shall tell thee. For behold, I am come to declare unto you the glad tidings of great joy. Heard that before, right? For the Lord hath heard thy prayers and hath judged of thy righteousness and hath sent me to declare unto thee that thou mayest rejoice and that thou mayest declare unto thy people that they may also, that they may also be filled with joy. Okay, so what King Benjamin received from the angel is defined as the glad tidings of great joy. It wasn't just, hey, guess what? Tonight, Jesus was born. The end. I'm out. There was more to it. These glad tidings of great joy span the entire message of Christianity. And we'll get into the message in just a moment. So there we had King Benjamin, 124 years before Christ. Alma Sr., he wrote about this estimated about 82 years before Christ was born. This is Alma chapter 13, verses 21 through 26. And now it came to pass that when Alma had said these words unto them, he stretched forth his hand unto them and cried with a mighty voice saying, now is the time to repent for the day of salvation draweth nigh. 82 years nigh. Yea, and the voice of the Lord by the mouth of angels doth declare it unto all nations. Remember that from Luke 2, all people? Yea, doth declare it that they might have glad tidings of great joy. Yea, and he doth sound these glad tidings among all of his people. Yea, even to them that are scattered abroad upon the face of the earth, wherefore they have come unto us. Continued, Alma 13. Verses 23 and 24. And they are made known unto us in plain terms that we may understand that we cannot err. And this because our being wanderers in a strange land. Therefore, we are thus highly favored. For we have these glad tidings declared unto us in all parts of our vineyard. For behold, Angels are declaring it unto many at this time in our land. And this is for the purpose of preparing the hearts of the children of men to receive his word at the time of his coming in glory. 
Continuing on in Alma 13, Alma Senior is saying in verses 25 and 26, and now we only wait to hear the joyful news, right? Glad tidings, joyful news declared unto us by the mouth of angels of his coming. For the time cometh, we know not how soon, would to God that it might be in my day, but let it be sooner or later in it I will rejoice. And it shall be made known unto just and holy men by the mouth of angels at the time of his coming, that the words of our fathers may be fulfilled according to that which they have spoken concerning him, which was according to the spirit of prophecy, which was in them. That's Alma Senior, 82 years before Christ was born. How about his son, Alma Junior? I told you it's scripturally heavy. We'll get through this though. Alma 39 verses 15 through 17 and verse 19 as well. Verse 15, Alma 39. And now my son, I would say somewhat unto you concerning the coming of Christ. Behold, I say unto you that it is he that surely shall come and take away the sins of the world. Yea, he cometh to declare glad tidings of salvation unto his people. And now, my son, this was the ministry unto which ye were called to declare these glad tidings unto this people, to prepare their minds, or rather, that salvation might come unto them, that they may prepare the minds of their children to hear the word at the time of his coming. We have some interesting things here. In this particular scripture, it says that Jesus is coming to declare glad tidings. He himself declares glad tidings in addition to the angels that are declaring glad tidings, right? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. And what do they speak? The words of Christ. They're one and the same, right? This is the doctrine of Christ that's coming forward to these prophets. They're getting a sneak peek of the doctrines that he is teaching. For example, King Benjamin, you remember, I showed you his address, where it came from. These were glad tidings of great joy. He tried them out on his people. They worked. They worked marvelously. Prophets are starting to wake up to the doctrine of Christ and its clarity because angels are preaching it. But he's also saying he, Jesus, is going to declare these glad tidings of salvation unto his people. So Jesus will be teaching the same message. And now my son, this is verse 16. And now my son, this was the ministry unto which you were called to declare these glad tidings. Those who receive the glad tidings also have ministries to declare the same, the doctrine of Christ, right? That's Alma Jr. Let's keep reading. In verse 17 of chapter 39, Alma 39, 17, and now I will ease your mind somewhat on this subject. Behold, you marvel why these things should be known so long beforehand. Behold, I say unto you, is not a soul at this time as precious unto God as a soul that will be at the time of his coming? It is not easy. Is it not as easy at this time for the Lord to send his angel to declare these glad tidings unto us as unto our children? Or as after the time of his coming? This is 74 years before Christ was born, Alma Jr. Now let's fast forward quite a bit. We got six years until Jesus is going to be born, right? Stuff's getting crazy over there in the Americas. And so Samuel, the Lamanite, Samuel, the prophet, familiar with him. He says in Helaman 13, verses six and seven, yea, heavy destruction awaiteth this people. 
and it surely cometh unto this people, and nothing can save this people, save it be, what? Repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Christ, who surely shall come into the world and shall suffer many things and shall be slain for his people. Roman 13, verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord hath declared it unto me. And he did bring glad tidings to my soul. And behold, I was sent unto you to declare it unto you also, that you might have glad tidings. But behold, you would not receive me. Where did Alma Sr. get his message? Where did King Benjamin get his message? Right? Where did Jacob and maybe Nephi, son of Lehi, get their messages? I'm willing to bet it's from the same source. And here we have Samuel the Lamanite directly sent to declare the same glad tidings he received to the other people that he was prophesying to. See the pattern here? I wanted to show you many examples in the Book of Mormon where these glad tidings are, are everywhere. Okay, let's talk about wise men. Helaman 16, verses 13 and 14. But it came to pass in the 90th year of the reign of the judges, there were great signs given unto the people and wonders, and the words of the prophets began to be fulfilled. And angels did appear unto men. What kind of men? Wise men. And did declare unto them glad tidings of great joy. Thus, in this year, the scriptures began to be fulfilled. Okay, this is two years, approximately two years, between one and two years before Jesus was to be born. Many wise men are receiving glad tidings of great joy. <clears throat> Who do angels appear to? What kind of men were these wise men? Were they just smart academics? No. Helaman sixteen fourteen. angels appeared to wise men. Right, men, wise men, and did declare unto them great glad tidings of great joy. Alma thirteen twenty six, and it shall be made known unto just and holy men by the mouth of angels. Right, we're learning what kind of men receive the glad tidings of great joy. They're wise men, but they're also just and holy. Just means justified, you know, by the Spirit, after some fire, and holy men means that they were sanctified through the blood of Christ at the time of his coming, that the words of our fathers may be fulfilled. And it says, spoken concerning him, which was according to the spirit of prophecy in them. These were prophets that were receiving these glad tidings of great joy, right? These were not just uh, magicians from the East. You know, these were actually prophets of God who were being taught and sent. I'm sure most of you guys are very familiar with that. All right. Who do angels appear to, right? Moroni 7, 29 through 31 in the Book of Mormon. Neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. Now, this is quite a ways later, 400 years after Christ. But I sneak it in there so we understand what caliber of men are receiving this message. Moroni 7, 29 through 31. Neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. For behold, they are subject unto him. Angels are subject unto him, God, to minister according to the word of his, God's command, showing themselves unto them of strong faith and a firm mind in every form of godliness. And the office of their ministry, the angel's ministry, is to call men unto repentance and to fulfill and to do the work of the covenants of the Father by declaring the word of Christ unto the chosen vessels of the Lord 
that they may bear testimony of him. That's who angels appear to. Let's talk about the message. What, what went into glad tidings of great joy, right? Was it just a headline news flash on the New York Times that Jesus was born? Hey, he's finally here. Enjoy your night. Let's talk about the message and what it meant, really. Lorne 7.31, right? By declaring, we just read this, but I'm summarizing here. To fulfill the work, to fulfill and to do the work of the covenants of the Father, this is the job of angels, by declaring the word of Christ unto the chosen vessels of the Lord. Second Nephi 32.3, angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the word of Christ, words of Christ, right? The words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Again, it's not just the fact that he was born 2,000 something years ago. The message that's important is that this message tells us what to do. It tells everybody how to come unto him and take advantage of his ascent into the earth and him being here and living here and sacrificing on our behalf. All right. In 2 Nephi 31, we're talking about what is this message? What is this message of glad tidings and great joy that we hear so much about only during the Christmas season? 2 Nephi 31, verse 2 and 3. Wherefore, the things which I have written suffices me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. Wherefore, I shall speak unto you plainly, according to the plainness of my prophesying. For my soul delighteth in plainness, for after this manner doth the Lord work among the children of men. For the Lord giveth, Lord God giveth light unto the understanding. For he speaketh unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. All right. So, Nephi, big fan of plainness, right? I'm telling you plainly so that you can understand. He's emphasizing this. God works in plainness. The words of Christ, the doctrine of Christ is plain if you can get somebody to teach it with you, to you with the Spirit. Um, and so plainness back to Alma 32, this is kind of a a refresh going back in time. I I talked about this earlier, but by the mouth of angels doth declare by the mouth of angels doth declare it unto all nations. Yea, doth declare it that they may have glad glad tidings of great joy and they are made known unto us in plain terms that we may understand that we cannot err or err, however you say that, right? The message here is crystal clear and it's plain. There's no mystery in what Christ was trying to deliver to us. There is now because men have taken out of our scriptures and out of our common core teachings of of lots of different churches, the plain and precious things of the gospel. What that actually means to us on any practical level, like, you know, King Benjamin would speak to his people, that plainness and Nephi's plainness, there's people, Jacob had plainness. Alma's trying to be as plain as terms can be here so that we don't make any mistakes. That largely has been removed from the Christmas story, from the nativity. And now we make it about a magic moment when Jesus came into the world and how as wonderful as that is, Jesus came into the world to deliver a message, right? And that's the message at Christmas time that we need to teach to our families and friends is that Jesus came into this world for a reason. He had a mission here, right? The doctrine of Christ and the glad tidings of great joy are the central message of Christmas. 
you know, and every year my wife and I try our hardest with little kids to, to get them to understand some of the stuff. Most of it's pretty boring, flies over their head. That's okay. We have to keep trying though, to keep Christ and his message in the Christmas spirit, right? This is the time of the year when everybody's awake to the idea, at least the Christians are awake to the idea that something wonderful happened a long time ago and we're grateful for it, but we still struggle to find our way through the convoluted mess, which has become of his doctrines and his teachings. And if, uh, if you look hard enough with faith, they're still there. And that's why we're meeting here tonight to show some of these patterns. Let's see. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, we're, we're within a couple, couple years striking distance of Jesus being born now in the book of Mormon. Let's talk about what the saints were doing and what the prophets were doing at the time. Third Nephi chapter one, verses 23 through 30. I'll breeze through this. And it came to pass that Nephi went forth among the people and also many others. Now, lots of people besides Nephi baptizing unto repentance in the, which there was a great remission of sins, spiritual revival going on couple years before Christ comes again. The doctrine of Christ is being taught. There's people out there baptizing each other. Good things are happening here. Verse 24 in 3 Nephi chapter 1, a few began to preach, endeavoring to prove by the scriptures that it was no more expedient to observe the law of Moses. Now in this thing they did err, having not understood the scriptures. Some different doctrines going around. It's okay. In verse 25, 35 chapter one, but it came to pass that they soon became converted and were convinced of the error which they were in for it was made known unto them that the law had not yet been fulfilled and that it must be fulfilled in every wit. Yea, the word came unto them that it must be fulfilled. This is the message that the prophets were teaching. Hey guys, you have it pretty accurate, but on this, a couple things here, you've got it wrong. It's not what you thought it was all these years. Let me correct you so that we can come closer to Christ, right? And that's happening today in the world. There's an awakening going on. People are starting to understand and come alert to a few of the doctrines that they may have believed throughout their lives that weren't quite as accurate as they could have been. They probably have some value in them. However, they need a fine tuning. And so try to envision yourself in these years right before Christ comes in his first coming because there are great parallels between his first coming and his second coming. We are somewhere on this timeline before Christ comes again in his glory. And I suggest to you that as I read the book of Mormon, I find remarkable parallels to the prophecies in our day and what's happening today in preparing the saints to receive the glad tidings of great joy to fix some of the errors, some of the the false doctrines, you know, Jacob taught, you know, six, six weeks ago, a really good thing about, when the prophets in the Book of Mormon would teach people and sit down and teach them the truth and the doctrine of Christ, the other side of that is they had to take a look at some of their false ideas and their idols and some of the false teachings that they got swept up in their traditions. And they had to be willing to give some of those up and repent of them in order to receive the fullness of the doctrine of Christ, right? Okay, so we see here in first third Nephi chapter one, verse twenty-five. Yea, and not one jot or tittle shall pass away till it shall be all fulfilled. Therefore, in this same year, were they brought to a knowledge of their error and did confess their faults. People are waking up 
back then and coming under Christ in a more pure and accurate way. It's a beautiful thing. Last verse in 3 Nephi chapter 1. And thus the ninety and second year did pass away, bringing glad tidings unto the people. The same people we just talked about. Some of them were caught up in, in false ideas. It's okay. They came clean. They repented. They learned the true doctrine of Christ. And they received glad tidings, these people, because of the signs which did come to pass according to the words of the prophecy of all the holy prophets. They were also starting to see things in their world. Things in the heavens, wars, rumors of wars, secret combinations rising up, gaining power, ridiculous legislations being passed, right? Tyranny starting to creep up. And, you know, they knew something was wrong. They felt it probably just like we do today. Something's wrong in the world. I need to come unto Christ a little more fully. Okay. And it came to pass, continuing on in 3rd Nephi chapter 1, and it came to pass that the 90 and 3rd year did also pass away in peace, save it were for the Gadianton robbers who dwelt upon the mountains, who did infest the land. Infested the swamp. You know, the land was full of all this corruption and tyranny, you know, just like it is today. Who did infest the land for so strong were their holds and their secret places that the people could not overpower them. Feels kind of helpless sometimes, right? It's a lot, it's a lot to battle out there. These early saints shared the same sentiments that you and I might be feeling too in this day. Therefore, they did commit many murders, that is the Gadiant robbers, not the saints, and did do much slaughter among the people. Pretty big depopulation was going on. There was a lot of death and carnage, right? There's prophecies about these things in our future as well. Verse 28, Nephi chapter 1. And it came to pass that they began to increase in a great degree because there were many dissenters of the Nephites who did flee unto them, the Gadian robbers, in which, which did cause much sorrow unto those Nephites who did remain in the land. There were some casualties in these years. Some people went with the establishment, right? They wanted carnal security or whatever. They wanted to, to fit in. It was very unpopular in these years to be a Christian, right? The signs that were given to Samuel that he taught to the people, it even got so bad that the government had to say, you know what, for you ridiculous conspiracy theorists out there, you've got until this day, until something happens, we're going to lop your heads off. We're going to kill you if this stuff doesn't come to pass because you're stirring up contentions in this world, right? You're getting people to, to second guess things and to undermine our authority over you. And you little Christians are, are a big thorn in my side right now. And so these governments were really tightening the screw on these people, right? There was pressure on them. Getting closer and closer. This stuff better be true. Christ better be coming again or else I'm wasting my time with all this, you know, doctrine stuff and all this, you know, religious stuff, right? Some of us are being tightened in the same, in the same way under some of these political and social pressures, Right. That's the name of the game. It was back then. It is today, right? You see the similarities between us and the saints back then? All right. There were some casualties. We're, we're going to lose a few to the, you know, the Babylonian government, uh, the, that way of life. Some people are going to want that way of life instead of Zion. That's okay. It just happens back then today. All right. Third Nephi chapter one, still verse 29 and 30, last two verses here. And there was also... 
a cause of much sorrow among the Lamanites, for behold, they had many children who did grow up and began to wax strong in years, that they came for themselves, they became for themselves, they grew up, and were led away by some who were Zoramites by their lyings and their flattering words to join those Gadiant robbers. Let's see that today. And thus were the Lamanites afflicted also and began to decrease as to their faith and righteousness because of the wickedness of this rising generation. Those were the conditions before the first coming of Christ in America, Book of Mormon times. Let's talk about this guy, Nephi, son of Helaman. Um, Book of Helaman, chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, we read about the caliber of man that this was, as if we really needed this explanation, because the chapter prior, in chapter 10, he receives the sealing power and the fullness of the priesthood. What he says on earth is bound in heaven. The angels will back that up. What he says in heaven will be bound on earth. He gets the sealing power, and he's able to humble this people with, instead of war, with a famine. He issues a famine. The people repent. They humble themselves a little bit. And in verse 18, it says, And behold, the people did rejoice and glorify God, and the whole face of the land was filled with rejoicing. And they did no more seek to destroy Nephi, but they did esteem him as a great prophet, a man of God, having great power and authority given unto them of God, from God. Verse 19, And behold, Lehi, his brother, was not a wit behind him, as to things pertaining to righteousness. Let me ask you something. If Nephi, son of Helaman, was that righteous to be able to have the sealing power and the fullness of the priesthood and to be a mighty prophet bringing down, you know, commanding elements and all, all this other stuff, right? What caliber of person was Lehi, his brother? It says right here, he was not one whit behind him. You better believe Lehi was also a high priest. Says it right there. So Nephi and Lehi in this particular verse is 16 years before Christ is born. You can see it on the timeline at the bottom. Let's keep an eye on this guy, Nephi. Third Nephi chapter one. This is like between zero years and one year after Christ was born, right? Third Nephi chapter one, verses two and three. And Nephi, the son of Helaman, had departed out of the land of Zarahemla, giving charge unto his son Nephi, who was the eldest son concerning the plates of brass, and all the records which had been kept, and all those things which had been kept sacred from the departure of Lehi out of Jerusalem. Then he departed out of the land, and whither he went, no man knoweth. And his son Nephi did keep the records in his stead. Yea, the record of this people. That's weird. High priest just suddenly disappears. Nobody knows where he went, right? Third Nephi chapter two. Nine years later, after Nephi disappears, what does it say? Now the Nephites began to reckon their time from this period when the sign was given or from the coming of Christ, in other words, year zero. Therefore, nine years had passed away. And Nephi, who was the father of Nephi, who had the charge of the records, did not return to the land of Zarahemla. 
and could nowhere be found in all the land. This guy just ups and leaves, right? Holy man, wise man. I don't know where he's going. Nobody does, it seems like. So that begs the question for us, who were the wise men? We have some hints. Some of this is theory. You guys okay with that? Here's a quote. These are all from scriptures we've already read, uh, more, more or less. He doth sound these glad tidings among all his people, yea, even to them that are scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. So the scattered tribes of Israel could qualify as receiving these glad tidings, right? Target market for them. Another quote, therefore, we are thus highly favored, for we have these glad tidings declared unto us. This is Alma 13. Highly favored of the Lord. Nephi hints at what that means. This is the caliber of people receiving these types of declarations from angels saying, hey, time to go to Jerusalem and witness something. Quote, angels did appear unto men, wise men, and did declare unto them glad tidings of great joy. Glad tidings shall be known, shall be made known unto just and holy men by the mouth of angels, according to the spirit of prophecy, which is in them. So the highest caliber of individuals, these prophets, just holy men, highly favored of the Lord, right? Scattered throughout all the earth among all of his people are the ones that angels are appearing to. Lots of instances of this. I've showed you five or six. And these are the people that are called in some degree or another perhaps not all of them, but to come and to bear witness of Christ the Lord born in Bethlehem. Who do angels appear to? Have we already been over the scripture? I think we have. So anyway, angels minister according to the word of his command, showing themselves to them of strong faith and firm mind. They declare the word of Christ unto chosen vessels of the Lord. And by doing so, the Lord prepares a way for the residue of men to have faith in Christ that the Holy Ghost may have place in their hearts. What's God hoping for us when we hear about these glad tidings of great joy prophets? Baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is the name of the game here. Spiritual rebirth, becoming a son or daughter of God through the new and everlasting covenant. That's what it means to come unto Christ. So all of this stuff, all this glad tidings of great joy for the purpose of getting us to the level of being born again. That's why Christ died for that ability to make us his and whole. Bring to pass, let's see, after this manner bringeth to pass the father, the covenants which he hath made unto the children of men. This is about restoring the covenants that he made to the forefathers way back when. This is the everlasting covenant, right? Enoch, Noah. Adam, whatever, all the way through Joseph Smith, it's been reestablished on the earth through angels. That's their ministry is to restore this everlasting covenant. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the nativity story. Luke two verses eight through 17. And I'm gonna read this whole thing because this will be recorded for people who can't see it and read it. Luke 2, 8 through 17 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another. There's lots of shepherds, apparently, more than one. Let us, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, right? So there are shepherds in a field guarding their flocks, right? They come. And when this angel finally appears and said, hey, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. And they went and made haste and they hurried up and went and saw the little baby laying in a manger, they were pretty close in proximity to where this was happening. That declaration didn't take them months or years to travel over. Now, the year that Nephi disappeared and went nowhere that anybody knew of, just disappeared, remember? Gave the records to his son. That was about one year after the death of Christ. Within zero to one year, somewhere in there, right? Keep that in mind. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 10. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's born a king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all, this is interesting. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him in the world. And when he had gathered all their chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. This dude has no clue what's going on. He and his people and his wise men and his magicians and all of his prophets have no idea what's happening in the world. Their heads are in the sand. They have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of. They're an apostate nation, largely. There are some good seeds among them, I'm sure. But in general, the scripture is telling us that these people in Jerusalem had no freaking clue what was going on at the time. Their king hadn't heard of it. <laughs> Can you imagine? King has no idea. All the councils, all the you know advisors of the king Nobody said anything to him, apparently. This is how much trouble Jerusalem was in. And I suggest to you, this is how much trouble we are in in the world in these days. Those who believe in Christ, 
that he is actually coming again and are willing to live their lives in order that they may worship him properly in truth and in spirit are a minority. Not very many of you out there. But I believe people are in various degrees of where they are in their relationship with the Lord. And there's a lot of time ahead of us. And there's a lot of signs that are going to be coming, a lot of hardships. And this might wake a lot more people up. But for now, the people who really, really put their faith in Christ in a meaningful way, in other words, the way that he has asked us to. There's a small flock here on this call. We all have friends and things that that are certain levels of, you know, awake and aware to these, these things. But in general, this is not something that all of the United States is aware of, all of these signs of the times we're seeing right now, right? Remember, first coming, second coming, right before these things, and even right after, you'll see that there's great parallels between today and, and back then. Okay, so King has no idea what's going on. He gets all his people together and say, hey, what's this thing these guys are talking about? I have no idea. In verse 7 of Matthew 2, back to the story. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, hey guys, come back. Got a question for you. Inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. How long ago was the star in the sky? My guys don't know. You know, oh, about two years ago. Okay, cool. Um, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Right? I'm sure that was the truth. And when they had heard the king, they departed, meaning the wise men. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. What in the world? How does a star go before somebody? The star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I don't know everything about stars, but I guarantee they don't do that. Okay. That's not a star. That's a symbol. That was an angel going before them, showing them exactly where Jesus Christ was going to be. You guys have ever looked up at the stars? Say the North Star, for example. Is that going to lead you to one dude's house precisely? Get out of here. You get that corn out of my face. That doesn't happen that way. So there's some symbolism here, right? There's a lot of it. We're going to explore that next. Okay. So this star magically burns through the atmosphere. A shooting star is slow enough for a bunch of guys on camels to follow it, apparently, for months on end. And uh, it stands over where the young child was. And I don't know what kind of star has legs to stand, but, you know, enough about that. And when they saw the star, these are the wise men that have been following it for probably who knows how long. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's interesting. Didn't they already see the star in the east, according to the story? So there may have been a big, grand star up in the east, a sign from heaven. I don't doubt it. You know, lame, um, Samuel the Lamanite talked about it. The people in America bore record. There was a great sign in the heavens. Even the people in the eastern hemisphere have traditions where there was a star up there. I'm thinking there was both. Now, I might have to speculate a little bit here. It's just an idea. But let's think logically about this story, right? There's a great star in the heavens from the east. They come. And then the star guides them to exactly where to find the little baby Jesus. Nativity story symbolism. Okay. So I've already demonstrated to you 
scripturally that the people that received angelic visits to announce the birth of Christ and the glad tidings of great joy. We've been calling it that this whole presentation, 18 scriptures I just showed you. The people that received this were prophets. Right? You guys were there. We talked about it. Story of, and some symbolisms within the story. So these prophets or these shepherds are abiding in the field with their flocks, awaiting the glad tidings, the good news. They're waiting. They're abiding. What does it mean to abide? It means to stay positioned somewhere according to the plan or according to the command or according to whatever you're doing. You're abiding in that place, waiting for something. Stay put. Right? So these flocks that the shepherds are watching over in the fields just outside of Jerusalem, waiting for that moment for the good news. These are prophets with their people that have come from afar and they've gathered out the true saints and they're waiting for their chance to hear the good news that Jesus Christ was indeed born that day. And they could have witnesses from their holy men who went and saw him. They're going to come back and bring word. Flocks, I strongly believe, are congregations of saints. When Jesus came to Bountiful, he didn't bring a poor shepherd from a field with a bunch of sheep to watch him come down out of heaven. There were faithful people that were invited and brought to Bountiful that they might witness the first coming of Jesus. And I suggest to you, again, can I prove it? Probably not. However, that is how the Lord works. The saints will be caught up to meet Jesus when he comes again in the second coming, right? I'm not going to be bringing all my chickens and hens and sheep from a field to go meet him, right? I'm going to be bringing people if I'm a prophet, right? And so there's some symbolism in the story that I think we need to think long and hard about. And a lot of people have written about this symbolism that are way smarter than I am. Um, But there's quite a bit of references that suggest that the new Testament and some of these stories were written in an encrypted way, symbolically. Remember these wise men came to Herod and he wanted to murder this baby. Do you think it was safe for large congregations of people to come in to the greater Jerusalem area as true Christians, which is against their law, by the way, you'll end up in jail or killed or worse. If you are not true to the God of the old Testament and the laws that they have set up, blasphemy was a big thing back then. These people have a lot to, a lot to risk, right? It's no wonder that some of these stories would be written in a little bit of a code shepherds in the field. Who are these guys, these wise men, Anyway, and we talked about this already. Star in the East, I believe. At least the one that it talks about that led them to the exact pinpoint location and went before them and traveled in the atmosphere before the caravan of prophets, I believe was probably an angel leading them, guiding them the same way that Moses was guided by a pillar of fire and light, right? DNC 103. Redemption of Zion must come by power. 
back then I had angels leading you. This time I'm going to lead you. I'm going to go before you, right? We have precedent for these types of things. And if you can imagine a star in our atmosphere, Dustin Smith probably knows what those are made out of and how hot they burn. Anyway, think about it. So think about the symbolism of a story. We, we have to wake up to the real idea that Jesus Christ and this story is real. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not a fable. There's reality here. And thank goodness for the Book of Mormon. We can now put these, some of these things together and make more sense of them, right? And we can share that with our Christian friends. Okay. Star in the East being an angel. Joseph Smith said, in regards to the second coming, then will appear one grand sign of the Son of Man in heaven. But what will the world do? They will say it's a planet or a comet or a star or whatever, etc. But the Son of Man will come as the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. Is that a star? Is that a planet? Nah, it's Jesus. That's a holy being shining up in that atmosphere is what he's saying, which will be as the light of the morning cometh out of the East. So precedent for symbolism in regards to holy beings in the sky, guiding and walking before people, showing them locations, going before them. um, It's not unfounded. And so, I think that's maybe what happened in the stories. We've got some symbolism here we need to to deconstruct a little bit. That's the end of the slides for tonight. However, I wanted to talk a little bit about the last few months, some of my studies in regards to the time of Christ. What were people doing around Jerusalem area at this time? I wanted to prepare some of these quotes from Josephus and other historians that have talked about the groups of people that would gather into Jerusalem or greater Jerusalem. I should say they were out in the the Judean wilderness. Um, A lot of them were made very famous by the finding of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. We've all heard of the Essenes, right? This little group of people. There were lots of group of groups of people like that. The Essenes weren't all of them. However, there were fractions of true believing saints who knew that there were problems with the establishment religion of the time, the high priest in Jerusalem, Herod's temple. Um, There were lots of these things, and there were people that were awake to the state of apostasy in Israel. That's why Christ had to come to deliver them out of bondage, to free them, the captives, right? They were in bondage. Most of them didn't even know it. But at the time of Christ, I actually read about some of these these people. Now, Josephus speaks of the Essenes by name. However, there were lots of other groups similar and different from them, right? They were true believers in something greater than what the Jews were practicing at the time. And according to his numbers, um, they were estimated at about 200 for several hundred years, you know, um, about 200 people or so, give or take. They were a pretty small group of people way out there. And the Jews left them alone. They didn't go and attack them. They didn't go round them up and throw them in jail. They were really like a no threat. They were just kind of nomads living out there very simply. They weren't causing any trouble. They were minding their own business. However, they weren't allowed to go in and proselyte to the city. Stay out of Jerusalem with your crazy ideas, right? 
So these people were out there. And at about 30 years before Christ was born, there was a great earthquake and it destroyed some of the cave dwelling communities out there. A lot of them collapsed and things. But since 30 BC and up to about the time of Christ, the estimations from some historians are that it went from a couple hundred people up to about 4,000 people who were living in the greater Judean wilderness. Some of these little rogue groups, you know, these little true believers. And so we can see God was likely bringing people in by the voice of angels, glad tidings, and perhaps just by the spirit, people following the spirit. They were gathering into Jerusalem, people that believed in the prophecies, people who knew the Lord and that he was coming, right? 2,500 people in Bountiful, at least on the first day. Now they all went out and told their friends and neighbors, and maybe there were more on on day two, right? Several thousand people gathered to see Jesus come at Bountiful. How many people at day of Pentecost? About 3,000, right? That were joined through baptism that day. So we can see parallels between the Book of Mormon times and the New Testament times where there was a great gathering together of faithful people. Now, John the Baptist was the son of Zacharias. Zacharias lived out and about out of town a little bit. And he was a high priest. And I don't mean one of those officiators in Herod's temple. I mean a real high priest. He had the priesthood. Holy dude. Holy man. I shouldn't call him a dude. Um, However, John the Baptist was his son, right? John the Baptist out in the wilderness preaching. This voice, this voice in the wilderness saying, prepare, get ready because Jesus is coming again. This is the message of Christianity. And it was starting to prick the hearts of certain people. And they'd go out in the wilderness and say, what is this guy doing? This guy's eating locusts and honey and dressed up in camel hair and just kind of rough, you know? Um, Who is this dude? He doesn't fit the Pharisees and the Sadducees we're looking at. He's not wearing a shirt and tie at general conference. Who is this man who doesn't fit the mold? Who is this weird apostate out in the wilderness who's teaching about Christ and baptizing and has authority from God to do and say things. And, you know, there were Pharisees that even came out into the Judean wilderness, way out there. It's several, several miles. It's, it's not a, a, an easy trek. Bathabra was beyond Jordan, where he was baptizing a lot of the time. So they come out here. Hey, who are you? What's your authority? Who are you rogue people out here? Who gave you permission to do what you're doing tonight? And John said to them, why'd you guys come out here to see this little reed shaking in the wind? What do you, you came out to see some sagebrush and some cactus? What are you doing? You want to get baptized? No, didn't think so. So these people were out causing trouble, trying to figure out what's going on with this weird remnant movement, right? This weird, strange group of people who aren't satisfied with the packaged, curated list of somewhat true, somewhat false doctrine that we're handing out to people and trying to keep all of our people in line with. That sound familiar? The saints back then were doing the same thing we're doing today. And that is they're seeking nothing but the truth about Christ in his ministry. They're seeking true messengers to teach them. What are these glad tidings of great joy? How do I get salvation? Because I want it. I need it. 
I'm unworthy. I need Christ in my life. So think this Christmas season about those early saints who might have been camping out in these little tent villages out in these fields waiting for the good word, right? Led there by some crazy man that nobody in Jerusalem would even think was anybody of power or any significance at all. But those people knew, not because they were led by somebody like perhaps Nephi, we'll never know, perhaps, at least yet. Not because of who they were led by, but because of the spirit that they followed. They were pricked in their hearts and they had the courage and the gusto to go after something they believed was true against all odds. They weren't popular in their society, but they were true in as much as they were able to be to what they knew to be true. Those are the people that Jesus is looking for to worship him. A couple of weeks ago, I presented and I talked about real intent, full purpose of heart. And I relayed to you out of John four, when Jesus said to the woman of Samaria, the time is coming where the father seeketh such to worship him who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth with real intent, full purpose of heart, all in. Jesus doesn't want gold or frankincense or myrrh these days, I don't believe. He wants your heart. He wants your intentions and he wants you to give your life to him. You don't have to go die for him unless he asks you to. But right now he's asking you to live for him. Spend your time every day worshiping him correctly. Read his scriptures deeply. Come unto him to the best of your ability and his grace is sufficient for everybody with a full purpose of heart and with faith in his name. And that is my testimony to you that these glad tidings of great joy are for you, not just for prophets. I bear witness of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.